0: Welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host Sam Blazer. Um, I am joined by Bob Roberts, Flyers fan, Twitter personality, and all-around great guy. Bob, how you doing today?
1: I'm good. How you doing, Sam?
0: I I can't complain. You know, I ran around all day today, and I'm sitting down finally, and I get to talk hockey with you. I really, like, nice. I, I I can't complain. I really can't. So the thing that most people know you by are the videos that you. Present on Twitter, they're absolutely fantastic in my opinion, and it's stuff that I think as a hockey community. Uh, we need more of just to be able to understand the game at a better rate. Uh, what really inspired you to start these videos? Was it was it seeing uh, a void there, a lack of understanding, or was it just you know kind of uh, as a hobby on the side?
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was mostly it was mostly as a hobby. It's mostly for fun because um, you know that's really why why I do any of this stuff. You know, it's, I don't get paid to do it. I have a regular job. So it's just what I enjoy doing. And uh, it kind of, I kind of just, for a while there, like a couple years back when I was first learning about like all the advanced stats and stuff, like I was more into that. And it was, that was kind of a lot of fun to learn. But um, I don't know, I guess I, I sort of feel like that got me to a point where I started to see the game differently. And that kind of almost capped off. And, uh, and then I just started turning to get interested in more interested in just, uh, you know, the type of hockey I like to watch. So I, I go in search of those plays and sort of strategy and style of play that I really enjoy. And so I, I go and seek it out and just sort of started sharing it with other people and found that other people really like it, too
0: for sure and i i know one of the the players that you and i are both going to be in agreement on that we both really love is jeff skinner and of course yeah. of course you talked about his skating style and o- over time i think what ended up happening is you've been discussing him for years and uh, how much you like his skating but even over time some like skating instructors ended up weighing in and talking about why they like his what's interesting with your timeline i think is that a lot of people come in there and they are willing they want to learn or they're learning something every single time they come and I, I have to agree with what you said that the advanced stats stuff kind of uh leveled out for me I mean I still follow along with you know expected uh you know goals for and things like that just to kind of you know keep myself in the loop but I'm more and more interested now with like people like you and uh, you know Jack Han who talk about the game in that way. Is, is there a player right now that you're really, really interested in that you know you like, you're excited to see grow? Is there someone that like every single night that you? Uh, I guess these are two questions, but excited every single night to see them play.
1: Um, always Kuznetsov.
0: Always Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always go looking for his shifts because he's just so creative the way he solves problems on the ice. Um, and you know he was. I think it just came out last week that he had been dealing with um a bad ankle injury in the beginning of the season and um so that was really interesting cuz he was struggling a lot so I was interested to hear that cuz lately he's just been back to himself. Um so always Kuznetsov but but this year really um Grandland from Minnesota. Interesting. And in what and what way is he sticking out to you? Uh just uh, his approach to the game. So He's he's always looking for the best chance for his team for his line, so like he he doesn't care if it's him, his line mate, you know, a defenseman joining the rush, whatever. It's he's always working to create the best look he can get at that moment for his team, and that I just find fascinating way to approach the game.
0: No, I mean it it, it has to be, and I think it's part of what Minnesota has done so well this year is that before they seemed so straight ahead. And they seemed uh, almost neutered in a way. Now there seems to be a little bit more creativity when you watch them play, and it, it it's odd because you would o- almost expect watching a wild game they they would be boring, which it, yeah, is, it is how it would be in the past. Yeah, and yeah. And I think Boudreau is kind of one of those people that's like this, uh, you know, to decide to take the uh, saddles off the horses, man, and and let them ride. And I, uh, it's interesting to me because I think we I talked to J D Burke about this last week is about. I'm really interested to see what coaches' impact is on certain systems in certain ways like that they affect players either in a positive or general sense you know almost uh so like for Boudreaux, the the top line guys versus the bottom line guys, whether yeah. it like it impacts them like more than others, and I think uh the wild have to be an awesome case study for that and I mean, yeah yeah you you even see Eric Stahl almost having a career renaissance there, and I don't know whether or not that's him you know, he never lost it or it's Bedro, and that's going to be uh, something interesting to try to like decipher as like the years go on. Do, what do you think? Do you think that it's more a Boudreaux, or do you think it's kind of more some players that just needed a bounce back here?
1: You know, I haven't, I haven't looked at it that closely from, from Minnesota. Like I actually just in the past, maybe two, three weeks started really tuning into their games because of Grandland Um. But I got it. I mean, I think you I think I mean, Boudreau, he's a fantastic coach and I'm not sure of the specifics that he's implemented when he went in there. But I think once once you've got you get a team playing well and you kind of you kind of figure out a system that's going to work for the players that you've got and you've got them working within it. I think that just that just kind of picks everybody up.
0: No, for sure, and I think that there's something to be said about that. Uh, Do you think that there's any, is there anybody, you know, we're talking about individual players like Skinner, Kuznetsov, Granlin. Is there a team overall that you've you've enjoyed watching, uh, seeing their development, and seeing how they jive together as a team? Because I feel like sometimes when you see a team on the rush, you can kind of tell... Like what they are as a team, the Maple Leafs have kind of kind of had that with Matthews and Marner and uh, Nylander at times. You can see like the like the youthful exuberance kind of come out in the ice. But I don't mean to take it away from you. Is there a team that you that you think is uh, kind of taking over in, in your mind?
1: Yeah, and and that's what I look for is like I look for units that play the game together because that's what I'm most interested in. So, um, I mean washington the past few years is, has been you know the caps they they've just they're just phenomenal in that way they just pass the puck to each other and and they're all just it seems like they're, they've created a, a culture where they're all really unselfish to the point where their fans you know get to a point where they get frustrated when it's not going well and they and they complain of overpassing um and you know sometimes sometimes it may be true but i I always say that if a team gets gets complained about for for overpassing, that's that's the team for me.
0: <laughs> well, especially if you you know you're able to set up the per, quote unquote perfect shot, that's got to you know you got to be doing something good there. Uh, yeah, and I think that there's uh, two players that have been together for a while, and this is kind of transitioning into your you know your Flyers fandom. Um, Jacob Voracek and uh, Claude Giroux have been always been two players that I've just enjoyed watching playing together. What do you think about their games this year? And do, have you noticed anything different? Because I've seen a couple people complain that Jeru's kind of fallen off a cliff, at least performance-wise. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think that's just, you know, people complaining because he's getting paid X amount of money?
1: Um, well, yeah, I mean, they've been they've been together and split up kind of on and off the past mm-hmm. few years. So um, I personally think that the team is better when they are each on a different line. But... I do think. I mean, Voracek. I think he's been personally. I think he's been the best player on the team for a few years now, and I do see Drew dropping off a bit. I, w- I don't know if he's fallen off a cliff per se, but he's he's struggling to create five versus five. Um, he's still fantastic on the power play, but but Voracek is the one out there trying to make trying to make those plays every night. He's he's really. One of the few guys on the team who's who's trying to really set up those good looks. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: You, you you see that all often with him, and I think that's what makes him so good. And, and so the question that I have my uh, that I ask myself then is since he's you know they're sometimes split up, they're sometimes together, uh, you know, but the, Voracek, Drew, and Simmons they all have like pretty good chunk of power play points. Do you think that there's like a lack of offensive depth on the team because taking a look at it after you. See Braden Shen at thirty five points. It's uh, Kachetny at uh, twenty two. That's that's a pretty large drop off considering you know he's only a rookie. Uh, how how do you think that the Flyers are far away or where, where do you think that they kind of fa- uh, fall in the echelon of the NHL right now?
1: Yeah, I mean I think they're 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 like a middle pack sort of mediocre team right now. They're kind of somewhere around fringe playoff between there and the 20th spot, you know, if they're really playing well and everything's going great for them, you know, they, they can kind of kind of push up towards that upper half of the middle third of teams. But, um, yeah, I, they, they don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of offensive creators on the team. Really. I mean, connecting just came in this year and he was working well with Katurie. Katurie got hurt. Um, but yeah, they, that's something they, they have a, they have a lot of, you know, stock of defensemen coming up and not a whole lot of high end forwards adding into the system, but their struggles this year with the, with the forwards, you know, that you mentioned the drop off in points. Um, I think it's, it's partly systematic because they, you know, they, they, for a long time and I haven't checked lately where they were at, but they were at among the top teams in points from defensemen. Mm -hmm. and like a lot of people were pointing to that and being like wow you wouldn't expect that out of this defense group but really and and i would suspect that the forwards were because of that were actually on some of the probably their group of forwards is on the lower spectrum for points because the way they run their offensive zone is they route their offense through the points so their their kind of whole strategy and it's kind of it's been a little struggle for me to watch this year actually because it's it's kind of the opposite of what I was just talking about about <laughs> like Grandland and and the caps and the type of looks they create because the Flyers offensive zone strategy for the most part is get the puck in work it to the point and try and ping pong it at the net create a bunch of havoc and tap something in that's mm-hmm. their general mode of operating and not really the type of hockey I enjoy watching that much and I think you kinda play it because you, you they try to they, they want to keep the puck in front of you and, and they don't want anybody sort of caught low, you know, if, if you commit mm-hmm. too many players low then then you're you're vulnerable to, to a counterattack. But I think what, what what it's end up happening is they're vulnerable to the counterattack on big time anyway, because their offense is fairly predictable and I would say simple to defend in the sense that it's not easy because the havoc can sometimes, you know, creates sort of mayhem. But it's simple in the sense that you sort of know what to expect and you can counterattack it fairly simply, in my opinion.
0: And I think that's something that I saw before when the Blue Jackets had Todd Richards. They had, you know, they had Wisniewski there. They had uh, Jack Johnson um, even a little bit ago. And they run a lot through there. And it do- when it's on... When it's on, it works, you know, and and I think a lot of people end up buying into that like, yeah. in such a way that they decide that this is what we're going to do. We're not going to go anywhere else. This is how we think we should play because this has worked a handful of times. But, you know, when you see it 30 some odd times a game and you see a bunch of block shots from, say, someone at the point. It's not uh, you. You get what's happening, and yeah, and if you have yeah. and if you have speedy wingers that you know can you can just shove up the boards real quick, you are gonna have a lot of like breakouts, and you're gonna have a lot of odd man rushes, um, and it's and I do you think that's more problematic of Hackstall uh, or do you think that's kind of just more what he's having to do with the lineup currently?
1: Yeah, that's and that's why I have these conversations all the time with friends, coworkers, my dad. I'm kind of like we all kind of try to decide, like, is this the way he sees the game or is it the way he sees the game with the roster he has? You know what I mean? So you you kind of – you don't really know so much of behind the scenes and you don't know if he had a, a different skill set on the roster if he would approach attacking differently. So that's, that's difficult to, to – Determine,
0: you know no it it would definitely be i'm taking a look at the stats here i mean you were talking about the defensemen. i mean Provorov 22 uh gosh uh, 21 straight uh 20 and cousins is at 13 right, right underneath couturier i mean those are it's a good amount of points considering like where they are looking at their time on ice as well it's yeah. it's kind of varied all over the place so you're 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 getting it fairly even considering and but the question that I, I'll ha- po- pose to you now is, do you think that they're still in a pseudo rebuild? Because you saw Hextall selling off stuff, getting more picks. They've been drafting, I think, pretty well, considering you know, they haven't gone for the full rebuild. Do you, where What stage do you think they're in if that uh, if that makes any sense?
1: I, I think they're still in sort of sneaky stealth rebuild, which they've been the whole time.'ve they've, they've tried to rebuild on the fly. And as far as rebuilding on the fly goes, they've done a pretty good job of it. Um, you know, you can argue whether you, you can really successfully rebuild on the fly or do you have to bottom out. And, I, you know, you might get a few examples of rebuilding on the fly working, but you definitely get a lot of examples of bottoming out working. But you also get some of bottoming out not working.
0: So it's definitely true cuz I mean you take a look at the Canucks, you take a look at a couple other organizations that do the same thing. I mean the Rangers I don't think have built in a quite a while cuz they don't want to ever miss the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, they they do it and I think it can be done, but sometimes it can end up being to the long-term detriment, but the Flyers overall don't have any contracts that you'll take a look at and are just like, oh my gosh, what, what are they doing? The Canucks, on the other hand, have some pretty bad contracts. The Rangers, on the other hand, have some contracts that you kind of, you know, grab at your collar and think to yourself, man, what in the hell is going on there? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, do you think <coughs> that the the strength organizationally is on the back end or do you think it's with the forwards? Because I think taking even taking a look at this and just look, going through – it feels like to me that a lot of it's on the back end, and you still have some like what you have a Sanheim and you have like Morin down in the uh, the AHL. Do you think that's going to end up becoming their strength and possibly uh, being used so they can trade other players in the future?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say I would say if you look at it right now, their strength would be on on the forwards just because mm-hmm. they're top heavy. But if you look at it t- more of a glance towards the future, their strength is definitely on the back end and And I mean Prorov's already fantastic, and he's just gonna become a really good you know two way number one control the pace of the game type of defenseman and and they they can just fill in the spots behind them after that i mean i I think the only thing they're lacking as far as uh defense uh, the a defender type that they could use is is the kind of um strawman sort of tanev uh Chalmerson, that type of guy. They don't quite have that guy yet.
0: I feel like a lot of people, I know uh, Jeff Merrick has talked about him a little bit, but I feel like a lot of people expected Radko Gudis to fill in that role. Obviously, he's kind of, you know, pushes people off the puck. Strong guy. Do you not think that he's going to be that kind of that kind of player in which he could stabilize a pairing? It doesn't seem like it would be the case with someone who's like high-end or, you know, fast like Agostas Bear uh, Provorov, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Gudis... For how much I really don't like his game, he's effective and and he adds value, a lot of value to a defense. Um, but i don't I don't see him in quite that same mold. I think he's more of like he's more of like almost a throwback to your defensive defenseman, but sort of upgraded to the modern game a little bit. whereas like your strawman and your Tanev, those guys are like your new like defensive defenseman. They yeah, mold, you know? yeah.
0: They, I I could see what you're saying. Is that like they they still have some mobility to them. They can you know put the puck on net if need be, but they are you know naturally conservative in that way. Uh, another thing that I I was thinking about when you brought up uh, Provorov is I can't get over how exciting it's going to be. When, like, you know, Worensky and Provorov, I mean, they're still pretty darn young, is when they're, like, in their primes in, like, five, six years from now, and these, like, these two teams are going to end up facing off. They're going <laughs> to, I feel like they're going to skate circles around the rest of the league. What, have you had a chance to watch Worensky at all? Oh, what, yeah, I
1: love, I love Worensky.
0: What do you think of him compared to Provorov?
1: You know, it's funny because it was a toss-up. They were picked right after each other. Yeah, and it was a toss-up right there. And I remember it was kind of like you could go either way. I mean, I think Pranman liked like Wierenski and, and May. Still, I, I think Wierenski is a little bit more offensive flair. Um, but and and Wierenski's very good all around as well. I mean, and very smart. I think I think Provorov is is like exceedingly smart, and he's the type of guy that. I don't want to say Lidstrom-esque, but I do want to say Lidstrom-esque, where he kind of controls when he's out there. The game's going how he says, you know.
0: No, it it definitely is, and I, that's that's the most compelling part to me is because when I wrote a little draft preview for the Blue Jackets that year, I said that they should pick Provorov over Warensky, and I really really like Provorov. But now, of course, like I've had a couple of times where people bring up and like you know at me, and they say, "So what did you think about this article?" And I go. Now, that I wrote that what 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 are you talking about? I, 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 I honestly think that either way that both teams would be fine. I just thought exactly. were I thought Wierenski just had like a almost a weird hitch in his giddy up when he was skating. and I mean, it's it's because he skates more upright than I think a lot of people are used to because even yeah. when he's like in full stride, it's not necessarily Jack Eichel-esque, but it's very uh, almost like a gazelle. Like his his head is up and he's looking around and he's like making sure like this is where I can put the puck, this is what I can do with it. And
1: you happen to know if he uses like an extra long hockey stick? I,
0: you know, I can't be too sure.
1: That's uh, something I would look into because I know Eichel uses a really long stick um, for his size and that's part of you know, the size of stick you use, you know, it affects your your stance and ha- how you bend and your stride and all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I, that's actually something I would love to look into because when you think about it, it, it would make sense. And he always – one of his big things too this past year, and that it impresses me, is that being paired with Seth Jones. Like if you're trying to enter the zone against those two, you're yeah. going to have just an absolutely terrible time. They just have great length and they, you know, are so athletic that even if you get back past them with like, you know – a dump and chase, that they'll recover in just a second. So that's, uh, of course, Man, that's a heck of a pairing. Right. And of course, like as always, and people always get upset with me while listening to this NHL podcast, I bring it back to the blue jackets, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun pairing to watch and I, I can't, I, I'm excited to see that and I'm excited to see what what's going to happen with Goss Despair and Provorov. Now the, a lot of people have been talking about Goss Despair you know, being a scratch recently, what do you make of that? Do you think that this is going to be a long-term issue or it's something that I'm kind of worried about, even not as a, a fan of the flyers. I'm like, come on guys, don't, don't screw this up.
1: Yeah. And, then, you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about it with, you know, all kinds of people that I, you know, in my dad and my coworkers and everything, because everybody wants to, you know, that's the big hot topic. And, you know, there's so much behind the scenes, behind doors that we, that we don't know. And, you know, you have to go, the only thing you can go is what, what the coach says, which isn't much. And you don't even really know if he's just saying that to get the question gone or what, but I, I've been a little concerned ever since about halfway through last year where, and I didn't, this wasn't very scientific on my part. It's just kind of what I observed as I watched Gossip fair and I watch him a lot because I've been following him since he was at Union College. I mean, I've been following him for years and I've noticed that starting about halfway through last year, his, his game, his breakouts, especially started changing and he, he was, he was less dynamic and more, a lot more passing the puck out of, instead of skating it out. And I, I have to think that he was asked to do that. So I'm a little concerned that they're they're asking him to change his game. And I don't know if 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 that's true or not, but sort that's of anecdotally, I think it might be.
0: That's weird considering what he is as a player, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, yeah. And I and I feel like with Hackstall, with the way that he I mean, previously and what we've seen like in, you know, college ranks and what he's done with the Flyers thus far, I feel like a lot of the time I don't think he's off base with the way that he evaluates his players. So that's the – I think the confusing part is that I don't know what's going on with – like why they would try to change Gostas Bear in that way other than to you know, change into a system or if they think that he's better in you know a certain type of role. I, I, well, I, I wonder the thing, what the reasoning
1: is. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I've noticed about Haxtell is he's a lot more conservative than I expected in his approach to the game of hockey um and in the sense that the the types of players he chooses to play to me and it's just what i think i mean i don't again there's a lot i'm not privy to and maybe if i sat down and talked with the guy my mind would change because there's just a lot i don't know but from what i watch and what i see it really feels to me like he prefers players who say yes sir Mm -hmm. and he he has a little bit of trouble with players that have their own vision of the game and and want to attack it their own way, even still within the confines of the team. I'm not being like selfish or totally crazy, but there's there's a middle ground there, you know. There has to
0: be, and, I, and that's yeah. a, that's a problem. I think when people talk about the marketability of hockey players, they want to talk about you know, say uh, you know PK Subban, and they're like. Well, PK Subban just really couldn't fit into what Montreal was doing, and it's like no, PK Subban could have fit into what they were doing. They didn't like a lot of the things that surrounded him, and they didn't like you know the flashy way that he played the game. And there, and of course, like I think it was like what a month or two ago, uh, the the Canadians were talking about how they needed a mobile right-handed defenseman, and I think (laughs) I think everyone was like smacking their forehead, like are you you've got to (laughs) be kidding me? And of course, like. I think, as now we can all like come to like the summation that they didn't want the personality that came with yeah, suban yeah they yeah. they want they wanted someone who was just gonna play and they wanted it to be under like Terrian's rule and under Bergevin's rule and yeah. i and I get that i mean i I get that like from like a team perspective and how like a lot of teams have been built, but by the same token, suban's like an undeniable talent and I feel like yeah. gossip I don't think he's on the same level, but I feel like by the by, by the same token. He is someone that should be treated a very similar way. It's like, hey, let the, let the man play and um, try to uh, you know, nip and tuck at where you believe his game could yeah. possibly improve. But that, and, that, and that's, I think that's that's just that's me. a struggle,
1: yeah. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of coaches in the league have. And you know, I don't think I don't think a lot of guys just you know a lot of people want to eviscerate the coaches. And true, you know, I I don't want to like you know I'm not trying to slam on Hackstall at all and and. I think that a lot of it a lot of a lot of the way the coaches act is based on how they're incentivized to act which I don't you know it's not necessarily on them it's it's based on the the way that the NHL runs their league they've incentivized certain types of actions you know so it's like hitch hitchcock a couple uh, like maybe a month or so ago he was asked about the idea of changing regulation win to 3 points and he said, absolutely, I would change my strategy in the third period. I would be dressing different players. My lineups would be the same. I'd be having different players on ice more. I'd have more skill guys on the ice at more times. So, you know, the the, the coaches make their decisions in the confines of how the, the league is run. And, and that's why I think you see a lot of coaches, they, they struggle with with risk no, assessment. It's, yeah.
0: it's true. And then... Uh, what's interesting is that you have like a Mike Sullivan you have a, a you know John Cooper who have risk in their their game but they also let it be known that they want it in a certain way. So yeah. there there's st- there's still structure. This isn't like the wild wild west, which I feel like a lot of people would like to see and I think the 3 on 3 has people a little bit, you know, drunk on that idea that they think yeah. that, you know, everyone needs to be like this. This is how the league needs to be. And I think it may end up getting towards that depending on how they adjust rules moving forward. But for now, I think people need to realize that coaches you know, one, have someone above them and the general manager that makes a lot of decisions for them. Mm-hmm. And two, that they also have to play within a structure. And yeah, I yeah. and that's just you know, as as much as you want them to do some outlandish fun ideas, you're not you're not gonna have that take place at least until something something along the line, you know, either at the college or junior level is yeah. uh you know, becomes a new standard, don't you think?
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. But but still within that framework we're talking about you you still have guys, you know, coaches more on one side or the other. And Sullivan, I mean, I just, I love Sullivan and it's a shame he's coaching the pens, isn't it? Because I mean, I think he's, I think he's the best coach in the league. I really do. And and it's mostly from his approach to the game. And I think he, he, he more than anyone has almost, I want to say, overcome that, that fear of getting scored on and losing and turnovers that so many coaches succumb to and i don't know if that's the front office making him feel more comfortable or if that's just him who he's just kind of he's just kind of overcome it himself and said i'm not going to play scared you know
0: no for sure and I, and that i what's interesting to me and i've had this conversation with Allison who uh, i write with at Buckeye State hockey yes that, Allison's great and uh, she is um but what what's interesting is that she's played this you know guess who game when you attach the quote from John Tortorella and Mike Sullivan. And it's weird how much they've rubbed off on one another. And when I had Bill West on uh, to talk about uh, the Penguins' year and talk about what's been going on with them, he was like, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. But the thing is, is that Sullivan used to be underneath Tortorella and he you was know, his assistant, and so there's there's still something there. But I do believe that Tortorella and his shot blocking and all of that is kind of gone by the wayside. I mean the, the Blue Jackets are way down there. The Penguins don't block many shots either, but I think that their approach of speed and, you know, moving down the ice as quickly as possible mm-hmm. has kind of, has kind of rubbed off on both sides. And I think that's one of the main reasons why the Blue Jackets are as successful as they are is because I've seen it. I've the, seen a the,
1: big change in in Tortorella. It's it's oh, weird. Yeah.
0: It's weird because I I think that it can happen, and I I hope that now people have seen that you know a zebra can change the stripes. That some other ones will kind of follow suit. And you, I think you're seeing it a little bit, but it's tough to do with some of the players you have on your roster. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, you you really can't. I mean, I think Jared Bednar uh, last year. I mean, he coached for Lake Erie Monsters. He was, you know, he did a lot of what Hackstall did, you know, putting it through the uh, through the point. You know, letting it kind of cycle through, and that's because they had some. You know, they had Werenski at the time. They had uh, Michael Poliotta, who is also (laughs) now with uh, the Rangers organization. They had some guys who you know could put it on net, and then from there, some skilled players could do it. And so, you have like you have a new coach who's like has won before, and if they know that they can win in a certain way. Why do they want to change? And that's why it's going to take a lot of these coaches who've been successful yeah. for, you know, it's going to take a while from the change. I don't really know how it's going to end up happening um, in the long term, But like I said, I think it's going to be a lot of rule changes that are going to uh, end up changing the game for the best.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think Tortorella, I think he's really, he's really grown a lot in, in letting the players play. I, and, and I think that's something that he shares a lot in common with Sullivan. Cause that's Sullivan's main thing. I mean, he's, their whole team, they wear those t-shirts, just go play. you know and that's, that's something I really love about you know, about his approach is that he, he just wants them to go play the game and, and they're not trying to constantly control all the decisions they make all the time. And, and I, I really like what I heard from Tortorella about how he doesn't even address the team after games. He, you know he, he's got the locker rooms at such a good place where they, they can take care of that themselves. Like he doesn't even need to go in there.
0: And I feel like that should be the hope for a lot of coaches. It's that like you know your team should be, you know, simpatico in such a way that it's you know let them do their thing, implement what you need to say. Don't you know go yep. in there and say this because I mean if I mean heck if you even watch the uh, the twenty four sevens on HBO when Tortorella was there, he would just absolutely light into players and you know f this f that. And then there's also evidence that it took place with the Canucks as well. But you know yep. time and time again, you don't hear it anymore. And uh, and like I said before, when we started off talking about Bare, I'm really really interested to see coaches impact season over season and see how it um you know relates over possibly not necessarily a generation but, you know almost like three year stretches five year stretches ten year stretches Definitely. to see yeah. to see how it happens and I think that's gonna be one of the next advanced stats that uh it's gonna have taken over, and of course, I think this is like the third or fourth straight show. I've talked about <laughs> this idea. So I think I need to put my money where my mouth is, even though I'm not too smart <laughs> of a guy and uh, try to, try to come up with this and, you know, share it with the world. But Bob, I, I appreciate you joining me today and, you know, letting me rant and ramble with you for a little bit.
1: Oh, it's was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course. Before I let you go, is there anything that yep. you want to plug? Where can we find you on Twitter? Any TV shows, movies? I, I know where we can, where can we find you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter, Bob Roberts, B-O-B-R-B-R-T-S. That's just Roberts with no vowels. And uh, that's it. I just do most of my stuff on Twitter.
0: Cool. Well, Bob, I appreciate it. Thanks again,
1: buddy. Thanks, Sam.